It can be hard to know what our kids are really thinking and feeling. But when we encourage kids to engage with us in conversation, and when we lean in and actively listen, we inevitably learn something that helps us do better by them. Welcome to Dear Highlights, the podcast inspired by letters and emails from kids who write to highlights, seeking a listening ear and a little guidance as they wind their way through childhood. A short, sweet season, but also a period of heavy lifting for kids. I'm Christine French Cully, editor in chief of Highlights and your podcast host. I'm joined by Hilary Bates, our podcast producer and thoughtful mom of two. We're here to amplify the voices of children and to explore with expert guests many of the issues that kids and families wrestle with regularly. We're glad you've joined us. Dear Highlights, my mom and dad have been separated for about a month. I have two guests. I get keys for a lot. Hello, everybody. Thanks for being here. If you are a regular listener of Dear Highlights, you know that from time to time, rather than unpack a vexing parenting concern with a subject matter expert, we're given the privilege of interviewing a different kind of expert, a parent who has an unusual personal story that's meaningful and especially relevant for these modern times. Today's episode is like that. My guest is Han Bui, a mother, a teacher, a published children's writer, and an American who came to this country as a child refugee from Vietnam. By virtue of her own experience as a child refugee and her work with children as a teacher and a mother, she has a heart for other refugee and migrant children. She well remembers the kindness of strangers who helped her all those years ago. She also remembers the more difficult challenges inherent in adopting a new country as home. Han talks about how people who are helped often become helpers, and that's how she sees herself today. She shares her story to remind people of how much a kind word or deed can mean to a refugee or migrant. She shares her story to help kids who are struggling in ways she knows well, ways similar to how she struggled. Kids like Kiara, who wrote to Highlights and said, people make fun of me because I'm Chinese. They squint their eyes to mock me and always say, why are you closing your eyes in pictures? People say I'm ugly. What do I do? Han shares her story to help kids who will benefit from understanding a different perspective. Kids like the Highlights reader who said, Dear Highlights, I am an immigrant. I decided to do a report on immigrants, and I discovered an organization called ICE. I realized how badly immigrants were being treated in some places, and I wanted to know how I could help. Got any ideas? Well, listeners, Han Bowie has some ideas. Please join me in welcoming her to our podcast. Well, Han, thank you for joining us on Dear Highlights. We're really glad you're here. Thank you for inviting me, Christine. Will you tell us briefly how you came to the United States? So my family and I, my grandparents and I, and I had um, three siblings, three brothers, and lots of aunts and uncles we all left Vietnam um, during the fall of Saigon in 1975, in April, when the communists came and took over our capital city of Saigon, and we had to leave very suddenly. And we left by, um, by ship. But our ship, um, with it being so overcrowded, with many refugees leaving at the same time, um, it started having trouble at sea. And we didn't know, we, we knew for sure we wouldn't make it all the way to the U.S. 
but we were hoping we knew that the the American soldiers were um, also nearby at sea, so we were hoping that they would rescue us. And after nine days at sea, we were rescued by U.S. Navy, and um, and given a chance to come to the U.S. So they they brought us onto their ship, and that was the first time I met my American helpers. Because um, a sailor carried me to safety, my brother and I. One sailor carried both of us, and we thought he was so strong <laughs> to carry two of us. But um, we have been really hungry, and um, we had been at sea for nine days and running out of food, and pretty weak. And my, especially my one brother, he was very weak. And there were a lot of people that was in need of medical care. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, thankfully, there were lots of volunteers and lots of soldiers helping us. So there were medics who took care of us and brought us to the island of Guam. And Han, how old were you when this happened? I was eight years old. Eight years old. So you were taken to a refugee camp in Pennsylvania. Yes. What was it like to live in a refugee camp as a young child? Um, I actually lived at two refugee camps. The first one was on the island of Guam. And they call it Tent City because there were so many tents there. Um, so that one um, was, there were many tents pitched at, to, to, to house all the refugees. And that was our first stop. Then we had to be processed before we could come to U.S. And then, then I ended up um, at um, Fort Indian Town Gap in Pennsylvania. And for me, I think for my grandparents, it was scary because um, there was so much uncertainty but for, for us as children, I felt like it was an adventure. After we got over the fears of like soldiers and, and there was like big trucks, things that we had never seen before. There were a lot of army trucks and there were so many soldiers there. And I didn't know, like, um, I, I didn't feel comfortable because they were all strangers. But my grandparents explained that they were there to help us. And I think um, once we start settling in and realizing this is our home for now, um, we I became really comfortable. And my brothers and I love um, American food. So I think after being hungry at sea for all that time, we were just excited about the food and trying new things. So we, we were, we were um, given three meals a day. And it didn't matter what we were doing. I always knew it was mealtime because my brothers and I could smell it being cooked in the mess hall. And we would always be one of the first ones lined up um, during the three meals. And so I think for us, it was not as scary as for my grandparents and the adults who didn't know where we were going to, you know, end up staying, where our home would be. But for us, it was, um, you know, a transition, but at the same time, um, there were lots of helpers, like, and we even went to school. We had a teach, we had teachers, and I think that gave us some normalcy. There was a teacher at the camp who had an enormous influence on your life. Will you talk a little bit about how she supported and inspired you? So, Miss Mary Lou was my first teacher, and I remember just, um, you know, just gravitating towards her because her voice was really soft and gentle, and she had like a really warm smile. And um, she, when she leaned down, I could just see her hair. She had really long hair and I could just see her hair flowing um, and, and just touching us with her hair. And I just, I just thought she was so just sweet and kind. And um, even though I couldn't understand what she was saying, I just felt that she was there to help us. And so I wasn't afraid. And I actually 
just wanted to be near her. Like this, that was something that felt normal to me to get to, to be in school and learn. And I just wanted to be around her because I love the way that her voice sounded when she spoke English. And I wanted to speak English like her. At the refugee camp, you were with relatives and peers and strangers that you learned to trust, like this teacher. But what was life like after you left the camp? After we left the camp, I think I was more scared than I was at the camp because at the camp, we were surrounded by all Vietnamese people who were going through the same thing that we were going through. And there were so many volunteers and helpers. And so there was a routine set up too. So we felt like we knew what to expect, that every day we would get up, have our breakfast and go to school. Soldiers even came by and gather all the children. So there was definitely a routine that was set up and established. And so I felt comfortable. Leaving was a little scary, even though my grandfather said we're now going to have a home of our own and another set of helpers. It was different because we were going to be living with, among lots of people we didn't know who didn't speak the same language as us. And, you know, and so um, when we moved in to our neighborhood, our next door neighbor was this older gentleman. And the steps leading up to the home um, was one step shared by two homes because it was row house. And he came out and he told the translator and the social worker that we couldn't walk on his side of the of the steps. So he was very harsh with us for a long time. Like we weren't even allowed to play on the sidewalk where he, where he, his house was. And my grandparents won him over with kindness because my grandfather, um, even though he was always grumpy with the kids as kids and we were a little scared of him, my grandfather still shoveled the snow for him, raked the leaves for him. And one day when he couldn't get to an appointment because his car broke down, it was stuck in the snow, my uncles and my grandfather helped him. And after that, he became softer with us and he didn't yell at us for playing in front of his house, you know. But I think I think it was definitely me missing my teacher the most of all because I I just, I, school was hard when I, so I definitely miss my teacher a lot. Well, that wasn't exactly a warm welcome to your new home. No, it wasn't. But you know what, Christine, there was a warm welcome inside and by the people on the other side, which was the church that sponsored my family. So there was a church that sponsored my family and it was a Mount Calvary Lutheran church. And the whole congregation was there to welcome us. And they were on the porch and I had never seen a porch because in Vietnam, we don't have porches, you know, in our home. So it was so, it was so pretty. I love the white porch that wrapped around the whole house. And um, there was a swing on the porch and my, and all the, the helpers were there waiting for us when we arrived. And they walked us through the home and I could smell all the food that they had brought. And so there was definitely a warm welcome inside. I love how you remember with such detail, the kindness of strangers, the people who made it easier for you to embrace your new homeland. Thank you. But I think you must also remember some of the stories that um, illustrate the hardship of being different, the hardship of trying to make America. Well, it started with that gentleman who, you know, the older man and my grandparents explained to me that they never saw anyone visiting him except his one son, but he didn't come very often. So my grandparents said he was probably lonely, so just to still be kind to him. And and I 
we all try to just follow my grandparents' example. But as kids, we were afraid of him, so we barely spoke with him and just stayed away from his side. But over the years, he did become kinder. Um, and we we also had our house egg the first Halloween because um, we moved in in October and we had been at the camp since May. And we moved in October and, and we were told at school that there was a holiday coming up because I have a translator at school that works with the ESL teacher. And she explained to us that Halloween was coming up. And I was all excited about Halloween uh, and, and, and knowing that I could go house to house and get candy. It kind of reminded me of our mid-autumn festival in Vietnam where we can go house to house with lanterns and, um, and wait for um, people to open their doors and hand us some candy or treats. And so I, I thought, wow, this is kind of familiar. So it might be a, a really fun holiday to be a part of. And then we got our house egged. And so my grandfather was really upset. And I think the boys that egged the house, because they were a bunch of teenage boys, they didn't expect my grandfather to be so fast, but he was in the military. So he chased them down to their home. <laughs> and he caught up with them. And then their parents didn't apologize or anything, but my grandfather told them not to come back to our house again. Mm. How were you treated by the other children, your peers in your American Well, um, there was one girl in my neighborhood named Pam. So she was my first friend. Her, um, her, um, her parents at first didn't want her to play with me, but so they didn't let her come to my house, like to my porch, because we we, our porches were diagonal, so I could see her wanting to spend time with me. But her parents at first held her back. But then after they got to know me, then they started letting us play outside together. So she was my first friend in the neighborhood. And then when I went to school and I walked in, I was the only Vietnamese child in my class. So that was really hard because I looked around, I didn't recognize anyone and I couldn't understand what anyone was saying. And a boy named, I still remember this boy named Billy. He was so mean to me. He um, he teased me for the way that I spoke. And um, he was shouting at me to say my name louder and stuff. And so they were, there were some kids that were nice, but there were some kids that were, were unkind and mean. And they picked on me at recess because um, Billy would pull in my hood of my coat and pick on me at recess. So sometimes, a lot of times I was alone. Then I started making friends because there was a little girl named Karen that had two pigtails and I and the bluest eyes I've ever seen. And she was just so um, sweet to me. And she, I think she was so curious about me. And then she started coming up to me at recess and, and telling the boys to leave me alone. And so I had an ally in Karen and she um, she stood up for me. And then when we took the bus home together, because Karen lived not far from me, she also um, started teaching me English on the bus. So I think overall, I think most of the kids were just more curious than anything else. And I was just different to them. But there were a handful that were just downright mean. So yes, I had to deal with, you know, the eye tugging at the corners and um, calling me words that were not kind, and and then also um, making fun of the way that I spoke English, and I I never understood that because the way that they were trying to speak like me didn't seem like me at all. So I never understood why were they making those sounds. It doesn't sound like anything that I would say. Mm-hmm. Your refugee experience. Um sounds different from the experience of many refugees and migrants today. In some ways, it sounds similar. 
What do you see as the similarities and the differences? Well, I think the similarities would be the challenges that we all face being somewhere new, starting over, and all of the uncertainty that comes with that. So I think that's the similarity that we, you know, we we have families that have to start over, um, you know, grandparents and parents that need to find jobs and to figure out how they're going to provide for us, right? So that's that's similar as far as those challenges, looking for work, kids going to school. Those are similar challenges that I think people face today. And, um, and also the sadness that comes with leaving home, the sadness of losing your country, um, leaving to come because you have to, because you need to for your safety. I think that's something that we have in common, that a lot of us come here because there's a reason that we need to. And life, life where we are is not safe for us and, or we don't have the freedoms we would wish to have. And so that's why we come here. So I think those things are similar. I think what's different, and this part actually makes me sad because um, I feel that the camps where I live were better as far as circumstances than the camps today. And that makes me sad because that was 46 years ago almost when I came here. And you would hope that things would be better, not worse. And so that part makes me sad when I think about it. And Christine, that's part of the reason why I feel it's important to to have these conversations and to share my immigrant experiences because I want to not only help uh, foster empathy in in the people that haven't gone through something like this, but I also want the kids who are going through something like this and the families who are going through something similar to what I did to know that there are good people, there are helpers. And I want them to believe in that. And that's why I feel like if I share my story of my helpers, they would know that there are helpers and there are people who want us here. And and the people that will help oftentimes become helpers. So they're not alone. And I think that's why it's important to share our stories. According to UNICEF data, 36.5 million children worldwide have been displaced as a consequence of conflict and violence at the end of 2021. The flow of refugees into the U.S. varies from year to year as policies and world events change, but in the last several years, the U.S. has admitted and agreed to resettle thousands of refugees. Han, I'm wondering what kind of advice you would give to migrant and refugee parents in the U.S. today whose kids likely find being different in this way to be a challenge. How can these caregivers best help their children? I think that, first of all, I think the the best path to success is education. So I think that encouraging them to, um, you know, just try their best at school, but also to choose good friends, to choose people that, because there are helpers even among children and teachers. And I think that if they um, can encourage their kids to to also um, live from a place of gratitude, because I remember for me, that was what was was the resilience piece for my family, was that we would try to focus. There were so many things that we still needed, still didn't have, and there were people that were cruel to us or unkind. But what I chose to focus on were the Moorheads of the world and Miss Mary Lou and the church people. And I think that if they could advise their, you know, advise their children to try to focus on the things that they do have, which is maybe a roof over their head, that they're all together. Like, I know that sometimes it hasn't been that case with 
what's been happening lately. But if they are together, that is a blessing. And and that they will get through this together. And I think that if if they try to focus on the things that are in their control, that really helps a lot. And and then not let the people who are the haters, you know, um, affect how they feel because it is so easy to lose hope and lose sight of what's possible when you allow yourself to be consumed with those thoughts. Yeah, I love the way you talk about all the positive aspects and and I can see that um, your positivity, (laughs) the way you lean towards seeing the good in everybody and the good in your experiences probably was something that contributed greatly to your ability to make a happy life in the U.S. Thank you. I, I remember reading a blog post, a guest blog post you wrote recently, I think for the School Library Journal, about how libraries were a refuge for you. Can you just talk a little bit about that here? That's actually another advice I would give to um, migrants and immigrants and refugees coming today is go to the library because that was such a haven for me. Um, I would... You know, I once I discovered the library, I love going there because I knew that first of all, I could borrow books and bring them back and borrow them again. You know, and it um and the librarians started getting to know me and they would leave out books they knew that I would like, and so in the library, it doesn't matter if you're wearing secondhand clothes, it doesn't matter if you know you. You don't have parents because I don't have parents. And I, I, I was raised by my grandparents. And sometimes kids would tease me about that. But in the library, they don't know that I don't have parents. And, and every child gets the right to borrow books. And the librarians, they're there to encourage the love of books. And so even if they can't understand what I'm saying or I can't understand what they're saying, they're paying attention to the kind of books that I'm picking and looking at. And so they they start setting aside books for me, like princess books and, and books that have to do with animals. They start setting aside books that they know I would like, but they also encourage me by putting out different books that I might not have chosen, but then I fall in love with them because someone else suggested it. So I love that, that they noticed that about me. And I also love the fact that when I'm at the library, I can just be quiet and not have to worry about anybody wanting me to talk. Like I can, because in, in library, you're supposed to be quiet. So in the library, I can just sit there and enjoy all the books and not have to speak English when I'm not ready. And so I love that part too. And I want you to know, Christine, highlights was such an... Um, motivator for me as far as wanting to learn English because when I was little I was like noticing that the teacher had these magazines and all the kids during silent reading time wanted the magazines and and sometimes she would have us take turns reading too aloud but I couldn't read aloud yet so they would skip my turn and so I was like oh I gotta learn how to do this because I want to do it too and but then you know Karen my ally um, started doing some of the pictures with me and, you know, and I didn't have to speak English or read English to enjoy the art. So I love Highlights Magazine for those reasons, because it is something that is universally loved by kids and you don't have to speak the language to understand the love that the creators of Highlights have put in it. So thank you. Well, thank you. That anecdote means a lot to us. And we were honored to be able to play a role in your childhood. And Thank you. No, I was, 
I, I worked so hard to learn um, English so I could read highlights. And then I was so excited. My teacher knew that. So my second grade teacher, she actually saved the highlights one and she gave it to me at the end of the school year that I could take home. That was so sweet. Well, Han, I know you do a lot of sharing of your story uh, with children in the classroom today. Why do you think it's important for other children to understand the refugee or migrant experience as much as they're able? Yes. I think it's important because if, um, if they're not given opportunities to hear other narratives, they're only going to know what's, what they hear or see on television or hear from the people in their lives. But for them to come to school, and even if they heard something different at home or in their circle, when they come to school and they hear me sharing about my first apple on the ship or the first teacher, they're going to remember that. They're going to go home and they're going to share that. And it may stay with them when the next time a new student comes into their class who doesn't speak the language, they may remember that um, Mrs. Bowie had an ally named Karen and she was her helper. So maybe they can be a helper and ally to the new child. So I think it's really important because if I, I know that when I've done these school visits and I do them every year um, as part of their immigration unit, um, in middle school, high school, and also at the lower school, I go through all three three um, sections of the sc- um, school system. And I feel like the kids just um, have so much compassion and curiosity, and they actually want to know things. When I present for the high school kids, they're like, wait, but why did you have to have a social worker? Why did you just not move into your home? Why did you have to wait at the camp? See, and these are the things that they wouldn't know unless I explained it to them. And so when they meet a new child that may have just settled into their first home in America coming from another country, um, they may be kinder to that child knowing the path that they had to take, just like the challenges that I had to face. Then they would realize that it wasn't easy. It wasn't like they just got off an airplane or got off a ship and went and moved into their home, that there were lots of steps to get there. It took me six months before I had my first home. And I think sharing that helps the kids to to kind of be able to frame it and and maybe remember it too and 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 be kinder when they meet someone new that is going through a similar experience. Mm-hmm. Exactly. The Apple story is uh, a very touching story. And I know that you share that a lot with children. Will you share it with us here? Well, um, when, uh, when I was a, a little girl um, and I was on that ship, I remember getting um, my first red apple. And I never forgot that because that was the f- first act of kindness from the helpers. And it was when the sailor brought me on the ship and he gave me a choice and I chose the red apple. And I was, I, I tasted and I just remember thinking, I have never tasted an apple before, but I've never tasted a fruit that sweet ever. And I remember for um, weeks um, after we settled in our first home, asking my grandmother, um, can I pick apples? And there were so many kinds of apples when we finally got to a real grocery store. I couldn't believe there were like different colors and so many, but I found out that the one that I had was called the Red Delicious. And because it was humongous and it was so sweet and red. And I just remember thinking, 
I would ask my grandmother because we would walk to the grocery store together because we didn't have a car. We only had one car. And my grandfather used that for work. And my grandmother and I would walk to the grocery store for groceries. And because the bags were heavy, we would always stop on a bench on the way back and sit and have a snack. And she would let me have my apple on the way back. And I would always say, but grandma, this apple's not as sweet. I would always say that to her. It's, I can't find the same apple. It's not the same. And she said that it's good that we can't find the same apple. You'll never have an apple as sweet as that first one because you were so hungry. But at first I was disappointed because I'm like, okay, I'm not going to find the same apple. <laughs> but then I understood what my grandma was saying. Mm, your grandmother was very wise. Han, we like to end our podcast by asking all our guests uh, this question. It highlights our core belief is that children are the world's most important people. If we as a society truly believed that, is there something in particular you think we might do better to walk this talk when it comes to uh, refugee children and migrant children? I think we need to model for our kids. As grown-ups, we need to model for our kids how to be helpers, how to be allies. And I think when we can, as they're, we influence them the most, just like my grandmother did for me, she encouraged me to be a helper because after we settled, then the following year, we were helping the new refugees that were coming from Vietnam. And we were donating clothes. We were walking to people's houses and dropping off groceries. So I think the most important thing that we can do to be able to help others is to model it for the children, like not just talk the talk, but actually do it, you know? And that's what I try to show my kids that giving and being kind is a part of our core values. It's not something that we do only on special occasions or when we're asked to do it. Um, so my children understand that now that we can make donations, we can give up our time. And there, I think the other thing that people sometimes um, are reluctant to do the, the helping is because um, some tasks may feel so big, you know, like sponsoring a family or taking a family in. But there's so many ways that you can help. You don't have to do that. I remember the helpers who gave me a ride to the dentist's office with my grandmother. I remember the helpers who dropped off a pie or dropped off a turkey at Thanksgiving. So there's so many ways that we as helpers can help other people, Um that are coming now, we can drop off donations, we can pack up food, we can bring things by and drop it off to help our neighbors. And so I think that just by showing kids that they too can have a hand in it, that they're not too young to to pack up some goodie bags, pack up some clothes or go through their closet and donate some toys, I think they would feel so good to be a part of actually delivering it too. So I think I think just showing them how to do it, modeling it is probably the best thing that we can, you know, encourage kids to help. Thank you. We often talk about how children learn so much by watching us and they're always watching us. Yes. And many of life's most important lessons are caught rather than taught. Yes. And Christine, I think the other thing that's very important is to also share with children all kinds of books, diverse books. Because I think that's so important because that's why I'm writing diverse books because I think that if kids see representation of different kinds of family and people in books as a normal part of the bookshelf, you know, that they will see family stories from all different cultures and experiences, then they will also realize and recognize that those stories matter and those people matter. 
Absolutely. And I know that you have two uh, picture books coming out uh, that talk about your experiences uh, as a child. And we'll be happy to share that uh, the titles of those books in our show notes with our listeners so that they can add those books to their family bookshelf. Thank you so much. Thank you for being with us. Thank you, Christine. You can learn more about kids' hopes and dreams and their worries and fears from the book, Dear Highlights, What Adults Can Learn from 75 Years of Letters and Conversations with Kids, available on highlights.com or wherever you buy your books. If you enjoyed this podcast, I hope you'll subscribe and share the link with your friends. Special thanks to the producer of this podcast, Hilary Bates, and also to our audio engineer, Ted Weckbacher.